Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. In the summer of 2020, Ben McEwen and his father Stuart started out on a big trip. They'd always done lots of hiking together around New Zealand, enjoying the bird life and the natural environment. But as I say, this was a big one. They decided to walk Te Araroa, New Zealand's trail essentially the length of the country. And they got a pretty long way before the pandemic played its hand. We're hiking for four months. We covered 2,500 kilometres. Starts at Cape Ranga. The aim was to get the bluff. Covid put a stop to that. <laughs> and so the pair cut their trip short, but not before Ben, who has always loved the outdoors, had noticed something. I guess it's surprising just how quiet much of the bush is. You're in the middle of native bush and it's just quiet, there's no sound. Just doesn't seem right. Nao mai haere mai kito tātou au huruhuri. Welcome to our changing world. Ko Claire Kincannon tēnei. Later, I take a trip to a unique area on the West Coast to learn about its current restoration with the help of Jobs for Nature funding. It's a fantastic landscape. Every time we are up here, the energy and mood in the group is a lot higher. But first... Katie Gossett speaks to Ben McEwen about how this experience in the bush motivated him to research new ways to help in the battle against predators. The Department of Conservation says around 4,000 of New Zealand's native species are considered to be at some kind of risk. Around a quarter of those are in real danger of extinction. Predator Free 2050 is a Crown-owned company that aims to turn that around. It's been charged with achieving the government's ambitious goal of eradicating rats, stoats and possums by, as the name suggests, 2050. We'll come back to Predator Free and Ben's role in its work a bit later. But first, this lack of birdsong got Ben's attention and it strengthened his resolve to do something about it. I've had the idea for a long time to try to use computer vision and that kind of technology to classify the animals and help with predator elimination. It's something that I've always been interested in. Yeah, ever since high school I've been imagining working on this kind of stuff. I really love native birds and amazing calls, so it would be amazing to increase their populations and, and see them out in, in the native bush, um, yeah, outside of those conservation areas. So how is he going about it? Well, the other thing Ben liked doing with his father when he was growing up was making things, practical things. That led him to study mechatronics and engineering at the University of Canterbury. He's now a PhD student, and those technical skills and his long-held love of the environment have come together in the form of an audio lure system for predators. Because on that hiking trip with his father, while they didn't hear a lot of birds... There were a few of these around. 
So what you're hearing there is a possum, recorded as part of Ben's work. He's been doing it alongside a Christchurch-based company called the Cacophony Project that aims to use modern information technology to lure, identify and eliminate predators. Because Ben believes that some of the existing pest control tools aren't working. At the moment, a lot of the traps use um, food-based lures, and I think that becomes limited when you've done intensive pest elimination in the area, and the population has become reduced, and then there's less competition for food, and those food-based lures become less enticing to predators. There's been tests by Cacophony Project, which have tested different traps and found that animals have found the trap, but less than 1% will actually go inside. But then there's also the trap design. So a lot of the traps... They're in a box and they have a species-specific opening to prevent non-target animals from being harmed by the trap. But in areas where there's been a lot of pest eradication, the remaining predators are quite risk-averse. <laughs> They've survived because they haven't fought for those tricks. So I think in the future there'll be a move to other luring types, so the audio lures and scent lures, visual lures, and also redesigning the traps so they're not limited by the box you can have an open trap that uses visual classification or audio classification that can become active or deactivate depending on the species. Ben's own lure is audio-based, but it's being used in conjunction with a thermal camera. So what we've got here is the Cacophony Project's thermal camera. So it's a waterproof container which contains all the electronics, so it has onboard processing with the Raspberry Pi. A Raspberry Pi is a small credit card-sized computer that can be plugged into a monitor and a thermal camera for the visual classification and then on top of mounted my microphone array and so it has four different microphones spaced around it and can record audio and also detect the direction that that audio comes from and then it has a modem which allows the device to upload thermal recordings and also the audio to the Cacophony database. The whole thing is about 30 centimetres tall and it has a speaker on a long cable, which means the thermal camera can be pointed at the speaker and the team can get a good look at whoever turns up. I have seen possums you know, approach the speaker and interact with it and even have multiple possums in the scene. Disappointing to see them there. It is satisfying that the, the lures are working. There's a lot more to learn about them, but at least preliminary tests show that they are interested. So that's gives me some confidence in the work that comes later. Because there is a bit of work still to come, Ben's hoping to use this state-of-the-art technology in several different ways. Firstly, as we've just heard, the device can play a selection of sounds to attract different birds or animals towards the speaker. They then make their own sounds, and these are recorded to help identify and classify the species. That way, the team can work out where different populations are, or not, as the case may be. So there's the audio classification that is used to use population estimates and also proof of absence. So you're confident that you've cleared out an area of pests and you want to know for sure that they're removed and there's no reinvasions. You can use that to listen. And ultimately, of course, the audio will be used to trap predators. I've done some testing with the first prototype, just a basic setup here. The idea is just to have a, a really simple speaker device that you could place in any existing trap or future trap in. It can play audio lures. This has all been happening at Living Springs on Banks Peninsula. The Cacophony Project was already based there, and it's a good location because although there has been pest control work in the area, there's still a predator population there.
So the device was set up and along with luring creatures to the speaker, as we mentioned, it's also been recording the sounds they make. So far, the team has heard from mice, birds, stoats, and of course, possums. And the more sounds the device records and builds up in its database, the better it can attract predators by playing their own sounds back to them. Effectively tailoring the audio to the target species by automatically selecting the most appropriate lure. It's one thing to just have a device that plays sounds randomly, but it's another thing to be able to listen to sounds in the environment and then play a sound that's relevant to that call, you know, respond to that animal. So say it, it hears a possum and, and you know that given the possum population density and the time of year it might be mating season and the mating lure would be appropriate then. There's still a lot to learn, it doesn't always pan out and sometimes an audio lure doesn't get the desired response. Playing certain sounds that we thought would be good lures actually had the opposite effect that they scared animals away. <laughs> I guess it's a bit of an unknown at the moment which sounds are you know, social and mating and which are aggression. With possums they all sound like aggression. It's an interesting unknown because we need to know which sounds work best for which species but also which sounds act as repellents. Because in some situations that could be useful too. We could use a repellent to maybe remove predators from an area that's, that's hard to get to. And speaking of aggression, the prototype Ben talked us through before is a new one. The first audio lure came to a bit of a sticky end. Yeah, so I got attacked by a possum. The top's been ripped off of the microphone and it's no longer working. Gonna have to do some repairs. It was just a first prototype though, so it's achieved its, its role. Ben is one of six postgraduate and postdoctoral students around the country who've been chosen to help tackle pest management and eradicate possums, rats and stoats in a new way. The students are supported by Predator Free 2050 using $2.4 million of Jobs for Nature funding. They're covering topics such as looking into the genetics of predators, exploring the social and ethical challenges to Predator Free's campaign, as well as biocontrol and then lures like Ben's. Because in the battle against pests, there's no time to be lost. I caught up with Predator Free's science manager, Dan Tompkins. He says the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment's report on native birds in 2017 had a big impact on the company's thinking. And it really hit home that, for example, for birds, despite all of the strong and good efforts by many committed people over the decades, we're in a position where 80% of our remaining bird populations are threatened mainly by predators. And so that's where Predator 2050 came from, is that if we can eradicate these predators, it'll take away probably the key cause of their ongoing decline in New Zealand right now. Part of our focus is on how can we actually support the efforts to continue doing what we do, but also start to do better. And this is where new tools and technology comes into play. And this is why we're quite keen on funding these new young researchers. He's afraid the current systems haven't done enough. So pulling in this new talent with different scientific approaches could be just the answer they're looking for. There's a whole range of sciences out there that really could be helping us develop new approaches for pest detection and pest control. We could be looking at nutrition better for predators. We could be looking at using genetic information to design more targeted toxins with far better humane ratings. 
And so there's a whole range of disciplines, not just across the engineering side, for example, like Ben, but there's engineering, there's computer science, and there's also the organismal biology disciplines as well. So the physiology and the nutrition and the different aspects of how animals work. And really, it's been a little period of time in New Zealand since we had a strong focus on actually learning more about these predators in that way. And so picking that up now, expanding and training some new young blood in those fields will help us design uh, better ways of getting the the predator-free job done. It's a huge task, but Dan Tompkins believes Predator-Free 2050 is on track to achieve its goal. I see just what we've achieved in five years so far. The progress being made, the new blood coming on board, and also the momentum and the buy-in and the enthusiasm. I'm very confident that we will achieve the goal of eradication. It's not, of course, going to be easy, but I'm confident that there are some good tools and developments already being made just at this five-year point, and so it's looking good. As for Tiararoa, Ben and his father Stuart still have 500 kilometres left to walk. Ben's planning to do it with his partner in summer 2021 and Stuart the year after. On both trips, they'll be hoping to hear less of this and more of this as they navigate the stunning landscapes across New Zealand. Thanks, Katie. That was Katie Gossett speaking to Ben McEwen, a PhD student at the University of Canterbury. Katie also spoke to Predator Free 2050 science manager, Professor Dan Tompkins. Meanwhile, I've been visiting the West Coast, where a project to reforest one of Aotearoa's most interesting landscapes is underway. I'm in the Bullock Creek area on a particularly sunny morning. It's a really beautiful spot just north of Punakaiki. When I arrived, there were a group of people having a tea break. Obviously after a busy morning, they'd been weeding thistles trying to give some newly planted trees a bit of space. Jenna Thompson is the revegetation coordinator for this project, and she fills me in about the area and what makes it so special. So this area is 153,000 hectares of um, area that was cleared originally for both logging and then farming. Um, It's a a polia, which is, for those of you that don't know, sort of like a massive cave system, limestone cracks, uh, things like that. And so the hydrology around here is crazy. You know, there's big sinkholes, cave systems, things like that. So obviously not so ideal for cattle grazing um, because you lose a couple. So it's been sitting here since sort of the the early uh, 1900s, just slowly trying to revegetate itself, but not having much luck. So uh, we're giving it a little helping hand with some native trees. It's a pretty dramatic landscape. Like there's a flat that's covered in grass and I can see your new native trees. But these steep limestone cliffs covered in bush are just, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic landscape. Every time we are up here, the energy and mood in the group is a lot higher. I can see why. I feel it myself. The word pogier has Slavic origin, as does the word karst, landscape with underground rivers, lakes and caves that form in highly soluble rock types, like the limestone found at Bullock Creek. It's because it's um, karst landscape. 
This is Pete Graham, a senior community ranger in Westport, in the Buller Kawatiri Department of Conservation Office. Limestone on the West Coast, like a lot of things on the West Coast, behaves a bit differently because of our enormously high rainfall and our um, quite thick forest. So the rainfall goes through the forest understory, gets slightly acidic, which means it dissolves the limestone. That's why we have some pretty extensive cave systems in our area. And the polia is basically just a giant cave which has been eroded away and um, the, the bullet creek itself actually flows underground most of the time and it's just that that flow cannot keep up with really big rainfall events so the thing can actually fill up like a bathtub for a short period of time and then it all runs away eventually. Yeah. That must be amazing to see. Yeah, I've never seen it but uh, yeah, I mean there are lots of warning signs on the road that you don't go up there if it's really heavy rain you I did Get see out. that, yeah. yeah. At one stage I came to a sign and it was like, if there is water across this road, That's right. do not go any further. Yeah, 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 because you'd be stuck, basically, yeah. Now, this project is one of 13 in the West Coast region that are part of the Jobs for Nature Mahi Mo Tatayao initiative. It was announced in Budget 2020 as part of the COVID-19 recovery package. $1.2 billion over four years towards projects that support Tatayao and involve upskilling people and creating almost 11,000 jobs. To date, 364 projects employing 5,698 people are up and running, according to a spokesperson for the Ministry for the Environment. Projects are located all across Aotearoa, with four main objectives. Battling weeds and pests, developing capabilities, improving freshwater environments, and restoration of different areas. The aim of the project, uh, Jobs for Nature, as its name suggests, is really to create jobs. Conservation Volunteers New Zealand, who are managing the project, have been working at a lot of revegetation around the Punakaiki area for some years now. So we have an ongoing relationship with them. Their last project was funded by the Billion Trees program, which was also in Bullet Creek. So I believe you were up there today. So the first lot of newly planted trees you encounter were planted under the Billion Trees Project, and they're just continuing that on now with the uh, Jobs for Nature funding. So the Department of Conservation is acting as administrators for the funding. But as Pete says, Conservation Volunteers New Zealand are the organisation who are managing the project. I caught up with their regional manager in the West Coast, Juliette Curry. We're sort of set up to host international volunteers or or volunteers who wanted to work on environmental conservation type projects. So we would basically manage those projects and then have people come and volunteer and do the work. Obviously since COVID, the international volunteer kind of market has disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, So now we're, you know, we do, we still run volunteer events in some of the other regions, not so much on the coast because we have such a small population. So the coast is really more around, we now have um, an employed workforce that we're working mainly for jobs on Jobs for Nature projects. So are you overseeing a couple of different projects along the West Coast? Uh, yeah, so our main one is the Bullet Creek Restoration Project. That's our major Jobs for Nature project. We're also doing uh, white bait habitat and green space in Hokitika. We also run work skills programs, conservation work skills programs, um, in partnership with Ministry for Social Development. So we take on people of the job seeker benefit and we employ them for a period of 12 weeks and hopefully break down any barriers they have to looking for future employment, either in this industry or 
in another industry. Yeah, so we have a lot of fun with those guys too. As Pete says, there is a bit of background to this project. Juliet fills me in. We at Punakaiki got funding from uh, Te Ururako, which is the One Billion Trees, about three years ago to expand our nursery and complete a project that we started there about 10 years ago, which was to do with the Westland petrol and revegetating the 70-hectare coastal block, uh, which is near our nursery. And so the tail end of that One Billion Trees funding saw us start planting up at Bullet Creek. And we originally were just going to do a planting around um, the tail end of our MPI funding was around the Cave Creek. We were doing a memorial planting up there for that and just planting up sort of just the entrance way to it. And then when COVID hit and Jobs for Nature announced the funding, um, they sort of approached us and said, why don't we look at restoring the entire 153 hectare farm, including the big wetland that's up there as well. So it sort of rolled on from the One Billion Trees funding into turning a smaller project into a much bigger one. Standing in the large flat area of the Polier with Jenna, the revegetation coordinator, I can see plant after plant all around me, with sticks to support them and little cardboard plant guard triangles to protect them as they grow. So this particular area we're standing in is where we began in July of last year. And uh, we have got just under 120,000 trees that we've planted up here so far. Um, that was the target. There is a few others um, that we've, we've put in other places, but 120,000 was the, the target up here. The next phase, Juliet says, will involve even more trees. So it's probably going to be uh, end up being around 375,000 trees. Wow. Um, but of course, a lot of that is done you know, from polygons, from aerial photographs. So when we actually get on the ground, it'll, it'll be somewhere in the region of that. It may not be exactly 375, but it will be very, very close to that. A polygon is a variable shape you can add to a map. So by looking at the aerial photographs, the team have marked off the areas that are good for planting and calculated approximately how many trees they will need. Where will all these trees come from? Well, that's also part of the project and what they've been working hard on for the last year, Jenna says. We've been in like a production phase, um, so seed collection, propagation, uh, cuttings, all that sort of thing. So it's it's been a lot of nursery-based stuff so far. Um, and so December is where we start putting plants into the ground that we've been working on building up. Because alongside this, you also have a native nursery. Correct. In Punakaiki or Barrytown, uh, we've got our nursery there, slowly chipping away, building up all these trees. <laughs> this Jobs for Nature project has employed 13 people locally, They'll be working on the revegetation and then the maintenance of this site for the remaining three years. And part of the project is that people will also gain skills and knowledge around propagating plants, which is what Juliet's own background is in. So our crew at the moment, and we have a few people doing horticultural apprenticeships um, with us, and yeah, the others basically, we're teaching them everything from yeah, going out in the field and collecting the seed and cutting material, bringing it back, growing it on, and then taking it out there and planting it. So they're getting the full, the full learning around restoration, not just, oh, here's some trees and put them in the ground. They're actually doing the whole process, which is really cool. We grow about 100,000 
trees a year. So we're the biggest nursery operation within the organisation. Is it all from, you're saying you're taking seeds and cuttings, so it's from the vegetation mm. that's already existing in the area and then you're just repropagating yeah, yeah. that and planting back out? Yeah, absolutely. And we originally, when we do the restoration plans, obviously we work in partnership with doc ecologists to make sure that our species selection is right. Uh, and then we go on and, um, yeah, we, we propagate them up, go out there, collect the seeds and bring them back. So, yeah, everything is eco-sourced within for the project, yeah. With the trees ready to go and their next big planting day coming up, the team I visited at Bullock Creek are doing some prep. Because the thing about interesting landscapes is that they throw up some interesting challenges. So uh, with our planting in December, we've got to you know, get our four-wheel drives all the way to the top of this road and um, it's really prone to flash flooding and uh, things like I said before. So the road takes a bit of a hammering. So for us to be able to access that top flat in December, we need the road to be on point for us. So we're going to go fill in a few big holes today. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'll leave you to it. There's a wecker behind you. <laughs> watch out, watch your things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sneaking around. Thanks to Jenna Thompson, Revegetation Coordinator, and Julia Curry, Regional Manager, both of Conservation Volunteers New Zealand. Thanks also to Pete Graham, Senior Community Ranger with the Department of Conservation. This episode was produced by Katie Gossett and me, Claire Kincannon. Sound engineering was by Alex Harmer and Phil Bench. Thanks to Liz Garten for editing help with this episode. Tim Walken is executive producer of Podcasts and Series. Check out the show's website on rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld to find photos and links. You can also find ways to follow the show on many different platforms there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart and others. And you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Speaking of trapping predators... More good news on the awards front. The documentary video series Fight for the Wild won the National World category at the International AIB Media Awards. If you haven't made time for this video and podcast series exploring the notion of Predator Free 2050 in Aotearoa, I highly recommend that you do. You can find it on the RNZ website under the Podcast and Series tab. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai to wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.